Welcome to MDASH, the healthcare podcast that gives you pause. I'm Kim Aquaviva. Today's episode, The Weight of the World, featuring Nina Rogers. Hi, Nina. Welcome to MDASH. Hi, Kim. How are you? Doing great. Uh, To start off, I thought I would ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself, about uh, what pronouns you use, what are some of the words that you use to describe yourself in terms of your identities, and anything else you would want us to know about you. Well, I use she, her, hers pronouns. Um, I identify as a Black, female, cis-hetero woman of faith. I am from New Jersey, initially born and raised. I I have to stop saying that I'm a recent graduate of Syracuse because it's been about a year now, but I went to Syracuse University um, where I studied broadcast and digital journalism and sociology. But right now I found my way back to the city where I'm currently at Columbia University's Teachers College where I study communication education. So my interests are really in studying past and current trends in education, especially urban education to influence uh, my ideas around new models of journalism. I know it seems like a new twist, but, you know, working on some things. I also have strong interest in media literacy and access and really just giving people the platform to tell their stories. So thank you for um, having me today to to share mine. Well, it's so exciting to meet you. And I was really interested in hearing about your experiences interacting with healthcare providers as a Black woman and what those experiences have been like, and any stories you could share with us. Yeah, um, I mean, as you heard in the the intro, um, I am a journalist, um, no healthcare professional background, but you know, like any person, I have had my share of experiences with healthcare professionals, like as a child. I was fairly healthy, but I did have um, an instance when I was about four or five years old where I had pretty major surgery because I had a, um, a brain tumor. So from then, my experience as a child with healthcare professionals, I would say it was pretty, pretty uplifting. I think considering the the health crisis that I was facing, um, you know, the doctors, I remember them being very kind, very gentle with me and, and with my family, because a lot of the the surgery that I had to to get was pretty pretty major. You know, I was out of. I remember being out of kindergarten for like. Um, a month or so just recovering from it. So I, I remember I had fond memories of doctors and healthcare professionals then, regardless of, you know, the pain I was feeling. Um, but I would say that as I got older, I felt that connection to healthcare professionals, my personal doctors beginning to shift. I've always been a, a thick woman, you know, as a, as a child, I was a little chubby, you know, I I think I lived a fairly active lifestyle. You know, my mom noticed early on that I was, you know, a child that tended to hold a little more weight than others might have, might have been a little over like the average weight uh, for children my age. But even in, in spite of that, you know, I was a dancer. Um, I had dance classes three to five times a week for as long as I can remember. So like I said, I lived a, a very active lifestyle, but my body size didn't always reflect that. So I remember um, in maybe elementary school or middle school was when that that shift started happening. And I started feeling a little bit more ashamed 
and going to the doctor. Reflecting back on that, that was a tough experience for me because, you know, as, as a young kid, especially a teenage girl, you're, you're going through puberty, you're trying to get comfortable with your body. So it's, it's difficult being told by the world and by, you know, your healthcare provider that your body isn't right. What were some of the things that you wish healthcare providers had said or had said differently? There's a few things. Um, I think what I think what could have been more encouraging to me was to kind of like educate me on, I guess, some of the the consequences or I don't even want to use the word consequences, because I, I think when we talk about weight and with children, um, now people automatically associate kids that are overweight with the obesity epidemic. But I think if that's what doctors were going to be telling me, like educating me on that, I, I wish it would have been a more encouraging talk to help me to understand that there's nothing like like to love my body and myself in the size that I am. But even like regardless of whether I'm 10, 20 pounds overweight or over a BMI chart um, or, or some index that it's okay um, to, to be comfortable in your body, even if the number on the scale doesn't reflect what the healthcare field says that your body sh- should be like. And I, I think even, even with that, I think there's a lot to unpack about the obesity epidemic. Um, I even hesitate using, using that term sometime because like I said, there's a lot to, to peel back from there. Um, it's not just that we have these lazy or, you know, just gluttonous kids who, you know, just eat everything in sight. You know, there's a, there's a lot more to it than that. So I think for me as, as a kid, you know, I was, I was always a very um, sensitive child, very in tune with the world. So, you know, I now looking back on those things, having read a lot more literature on like body positivity and uh, mindfulness, mindful eating, some, some teachings that I've had around that have really helped to open my eyes and understanding that obesity and, and fatness doesn't have to be this, this plague that, that we tend to look at it like. And I think you're right absolutely about this idea of making people feel ashamed about their bodies. I'm a fairly, I would say, average-sized weighted person, but I know myself, I will put off going for my annual checkup. Mm-hmm if I've gained weight and and because I don't want to hear it. And, and that sounds, it's so small, like it's a tiny thing, but there is such a shaming to the issue of weight in in America and particularly for women. Although to a growing extent, also among men as well, the shaming around body size. Absolutely. I I would agree with that. And I think like like to the, um, the theme of this interview in terms of my, identity and relationships with healthcare professionals experiences. And that I think as a black woman, there's even some more to think about there. Like I remember one time when I was in high school, I had just started doing track. This might've been, I don't know, my freshman or sophomore year of high school. And I had to get a physical um, before the season started, like to be eligible to participate. So I went to like some I don't think it was like my primary doctor had just retired. So I just went to whatever place my parents got me an appointment at. And I remember like coming from track and I was getting ready to go to dance class later that night. Again, that active lifestyle that I had. And I remember um, the doctor weighing me and still his, his reaction 
to me was something that really stayed with me for a while. He looked at the scale and was just like, whoa, like, and he told me that, um, you know, if, if I didn't watch it, that I would have diabetes and high blood pressure and cholesterol um, before I knew it. And it was something, like I said, I was, I tended to be a very sensitive, quiet person. I just remember going about the rest of my night, like before I went to dance, I had to go to choir rehearsal. And I remember just stepping outside of the room and crying. And I was, I was so upset because, you know, the doctor didn't even have a dialogue with me um, around my body, around my weight. If he had, he would have known that I was someone that that didn't live a, a sedentary lifestyle. I did things that made my lifestyle feel good. And I also share that to say, I don't want to enforce this notion that if there are people that don't exercise uh, five times a week or do things regularly, that there is something wrong with them or wrong with their bodies. It's not, but I, I think like to your point earlier of things that I wish would have been said to me, it would have it would have been asking me, what is it that makes your body feel good? Is it a certain sport, a certain dance, a certain style of exercise? Um, you know, it doesn't have to be this this rigorous like health or exercise plan that makes me feel more burdened than it does make me feel free and and moving my body and, and or eating the things that make me feel good. That must have been so painful to hear, and especially because you were doing all the right things. So you were already exercising and you're coming from track and you're going to dance class. And I, I can't imagine how crushing that would feel. Yeah. And it, like I said, it was a tough time. Like thinking I'm in my early years of high school. And at that time, we're kids like everybody's hormones are raging. You're just trying to figure yourself out. <laughs> so it was difficult enough being in a high school where, you know, there were girls that were much smaller than me. And it was it was just tough, like like feeling that in the doctor's office, which I kind of expected to be a safe space, which is what I was accustomed to as a child, like when I had, you know, like the, the brain tumor, as I mentioned earlier. So it was definitely a shift. And, you know, thinking about some of the, the, the stigmas um, that come along with that, like I mentioned earlier with the uh, obesity epidemic, I think it's one thing to address the the trends in weight gain amongst young people in different communities by tackling it with like, let's move campaigns and like signs and schools and things like that. But I think if you're going to do that, it has to be coupled with education for, for students, I think especially young girls and young women of color around body positivity and, and loving their bodies. You know, as, as a Black woman in our community, culturally in, in the Black community, there is I think more value around women with, with curves, um, the voluptuous women, and there's there's still a lot to say around that because, you know, what about women that that isn't their body frame? Um, they're naturally um, smaller. But I think even with the the quote unquote ideal um, woman that has these you know thick thighs and a big butt and um, big breasts. The expectation is also that she have an hourglass waist and and abs. And I don't know how to achieve that. Um, <laughs> I don't know how many women do. Um, and if they do, like, you know, props to them. I, but I think there needs, if they, I think the, the education around um, obesity and weight loss and a healthy, active lifestyle has to also be coupled with 
education, like I said, around body positivity and not shaming those into a body that isn't theirs. And so many of us spend our lives, regardless of race or gender, so many of us spend, particularly our high school years, just trying to get adjusted to the body that we've been given and then trying to figure out how to make sense of it. I mean, we basically, I remember being a teenager and feeling a bit like an alien, like what is happening all of a sudden you're having to adjust to a body. And if you're not getting messages that all body types, there is beauty and there's beauty in what your body can do, the strength that you have, you were able to do track and you're doing dance and that's amazing. But instead we hear a lot of messages about what our body should look like versus what it enables us to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I think like, like to your point of like the high school, middle school years being a tough time for students, I think it we're at a time where it would be really beneficial for like healthcare providers, especially those that are in schools, like nurses or whether they're fitness instructors in schools. I remember in my my district had a good dance program. You know, training around those kinds of professionals helping students with that. Like if students are going to be in a space where they have to work out together or exercise together, you know, they have to set the tone for a level of respect that there's going to be around students of all body types and students of all um, abilities and what they can do with their body. Now, when you think about interacting with healthcare professionals, even outside the topic of weight, but just seeking healthcare Mm -hmm. as a black woman, what kind of feelings, thoughts, apprehensions do you have when you think about that? I think when I think about seeking out healthcare as a Black woman, it's it's hard for me to think about the healthcare field and the field of medicine without thinking about some of the, the troubling history that, that comes along with that. I think there have been you know, clearly a lot of great advancements in, in medicine and in in some ways, um, healthcare access for different communities. But, you know, I still have to I have to be able to hold both. Like, there's a lot to unpack about the history of that. Like, as a, um, a woman that is young, getting closer to an age where I guess I should be, you know, getting married or having kids um, eventually, you know, my reproductive health is something that I, I think about a lot. But with reproductive health, you know, I think it's something I, I think about or have... Um, more recently been exploring is some of the histories in using um, the bodies of women of color as testing for, you know, Mm -hmm. different, like the birth control pill, different reproductive or contraceptive methods rather. And with that, you know, a lot of women of color, specifically um, in Puerto Rico, I believe it was, became infertile from those practices. So I know in my own family, um, in my own upbringing, I was personally taught not to be not to have a, a level of distrust between healthcare professionals, but to ask questions, to not just accept any prescriptions or, or to go directly to certain like medical practices or like I said, different medicines automatically to treat certain things. Like if I'm having difficulty with my menstrual cycle or you know something like that, like being mindful when you're, um, as you're getting older, like if you anticipate having children to, like certain methods or precautions you can take to more naturally heal yourself rather than going directly into like hormone treatment or or things like that. So it sounds like you learned some healthy skepticism based on the really troubling history in medicine around 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I can hear my mom's voice now. Um, anytime I, I have an older sister, anytime, you know, when we got to the age where we would, you know, take ourselves to the doctor, I can always hear her before I leave the house, you know, make sure you don't get any shots or anything like that. And if you do ask the question, and I, again, I say that not to enforce that there should be like a severe level of distrust between myself and the, or black women and our healthcare providers. But, you know, again, I do think given the history of the medical field, be it in research and in practice and access, there has been a lot of troubling and, you know, downright discriminatory and just harmful history Mm -hmm. there. So, you know, I think it is um, empowering for black women to be able to ask questions to their healthcare provider and to get honest answers for them and come to a decision that works best for them as an individual. Absolutely. And truly informed consent. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if people need to take time, go home, think it over, gather more information before saying yes to something or before making a decision, that's something people should be encouraged to do. Sometimes I'll hear white healthcare professionals say, you know, they understand the history, the complicated history, but, you know, that was a long time ago. And what I always tell colleagues who, who say that, and it, fortunately it's not many colleagues who say that, but when I hear that argument, I always say, you know, it takes, it takes generations to rebuild trust mm-hmm. that we eroded. And I say we collectively, as white people and healthcare professionals, we eroded that trust by taking terrible advantage of Black women, black men in America mm-hmm. around experimentation, around, uh, you know, think about Tuskegee, think about mm-hmm. Henrietta Lacks. And so, yeah, it's uh, I would be surprised if that distrust went away, you know, before the next hundred years have passed, because it takes a long time to rebuild trust. And I think that's OK. I not I don't think what has happened in terms of taking advantage of black Americans and healthcare is OK. Mm-hmm. I think it is OK for black Americans to be skeptical mm-hmm. and to uh, be cautious and to ask questions. I think it's a good thing. I agree. I would I would agree with that. Like you, you mentioned, um, the Tuskegee experiment, and that is something that we are only a few decades um, removed from, like the like by the time that practice actually ended. Um, and in thinking about the the testing and birth control methods with, with women in Puerto Rico, again, things that we are only decades removed from. Um, so like you said, that, that healing and that um, time for building trust, I don't think it's something that we could skip over. And I think it's, we will get more um, advancement in the, the medical field, the healthcare field between people of color, uh, specifically black women, when there are honest conversations around what's going on, you know, one-on-one between doctors and just in the, in the field at large. You know, we've been talking about some of the, the complicated history mm-hmm. in healthcare and particularly among um, how black people have been treated in healthcare. One, one question that I have, and I'm curious, partly because I do a lot of hospice and palliative care work, is what kind of messages did you hear growing up or did you hear any messages about the idea of hospice? Hmm. Hospice, um, to be honest, is not, that's something I don't, I don't think I received any um, okay. messaging on, not that I can recall. I think I, you know, as my grandparents um, were dying when I, when I was younger, um, I believe they went into hospice years ago. But So I, I would say in, in my family, I don't think it's something that we, I haven't haven't considered um, before because I but my grandfather's passed away when I was much younger, so I don't have I don't have too much memory of them. 
Thanks for answering that. I know it's kind of a wacky, like out of left field question, but I like asking people yeah. because the complicated history that we have in healthcare mm-hmm. has led to a really low, a small percentage of people who identify as black in America who are dying, a small percentage of them mm-hmm. choose hospice as compared to a higher percentage of mm-hmm. white Americans. And I wonder to what extent some of that complicated history mm. plays plays into things. So for example, if a, if a physician is saying, I, I really think that hospice would be the best choice for you. I don't think there's anything we can do in terms of curative. Mm-hmm. I wonder if some distress may pl- come into play. So I always like asking people because I'm always curious about messages people heard growing up about those things. Yeah, no, um, I'm, gl- I'm glad you asked it. I think that's a a good or important thing to discuss. I think in my um, limited experience with that, I think that a says a lot um, that that hospice is just something um, maybe because I'm younger, like I'm only only 23, maybe haven't explored as much, but, and I can think of, um, you know, some of the the relatives that that I've had, like my, my grandmother who passed away, not, not too long ago, it was like um, 2009. Or other, um, you know, close close friends, family friends that I know that are that have aging parents, um, relatives with other terminally ill conditions. They have taken care of them in the home until it was um, until they passed on. So yeah, I, I think that, that there's a there's some things like I keep my favorite word um, to unpack. <laughs> about that. It's a great <laughs> word. It is a great word though. I mean, all of these things are so complicated. As you think about being a black woman mm-hmm. and you think about healthcare professionals and you think about healthcare in general, what would you want to say to healthcare professionals about things that you wish they would pay more attention to or be more aware of in working with black women in particular? Hmm. I think what I would say to them is to try to Forge a, a relationship and an understanding of where the, the black women that you are servicing comes from. I, I think like that word servicing is key here. You know, that the healthcare industry and just medicine in general, a lot of it has become just about profit and about the money. And, you know, let's I think for healthcare professionals, like taking a step back from that and saying, what is it that this patient specifically like um, and focusing on this question specifically, what does this black woman need? how can I service her best? What does she need best? Um, I think if we're talking about weight or different lifestyle changes um, or practices that doctors are encouraging their black female patients to interact, know about her, her, what's going on in her world. Um, I think some of the, the messaging that we receive on how to combat certain illnesses that are prevalent in the black community, be it diabetes or high blood pressure or um, heart disease, which is a silent killer um, among, amongst black women, you know, we, we have to take into account that uh, maybe black women feel, feel these things because of what the, the social context, mm-hmm. um, the, the social things that, that we face um, outside of the doctor's offices, whether it's, you know, taking care of our, our children and our, our families or being for black women that are working, working mothers, professional women, it's, it's tough at times and not just, um, I think for healthcare professionals, it's important to not just throw like textbook solutions at them, like eat better, exercise, right? Like, okay, that, that could be true, but how does that apply to me as someone who spends my days servicing others or stressed out on my job where 
I'm facing all type of microaggressions or, or mm-hmm. things like that. I think we have to take those things into account to really best service the health of black women. Years ago, I was on a, um, a council and it was a council that was really focused on health equity. And it had a mix of white people, black people, Latinos, people identify as Native American or American Indian. And there was this prolonged discussion around the, quote, obesity epidemic Mm -hmm. uh, in the Black community. And an otherwise fairly quiet, up to that point, woman spoke up. She was a Black female physician. Mm -hmm. And she she said, look, I am overweight. Mm -hmm. And I have spent a lifetime hearing that I need to exercise. And not once has any physician asked me why I don't exercise more. And she said, every time I exercise my hair gets a mess and she ends up and she said really like she spends a lot of time and energy and money on her hairstyles and she said and she it was really it, it stuck with me forever she said if healthcare professionals want to tackle the idea of exercise in the black community why aren't people giving out vouchers that they can actually use on to their hair care provider the person mm-hmm. who is doing their hair why aren't we doing that? And instead, we just tell people, exercise, exercise, and we never ask them why they're not doing it. And it, the reason I'm sharing this is it stuck with me that often we're throwing a textbook solution, which is go exercise, go exercise. And we're not asking people, what's, what's motivating you? And for her, hair, like it was, a, it was a real barrier. And financially, when she was younger, it was a barrier. She couldn't afford to go get her hair redone every single week. And certainly if she's exercising three times a week. So anyway, it's, I think all of us as healthcare professionals have to, we have to start asking questions about what the barriers are instead of thinking, throwing a solution at someone and not really understanding them. No, that is real. Um, <laughs> give her an, an award. I thought I was the only, I'm sure I'm not the only black woman who thinks that, but that is, I mean, it's, it's a small thing. I mean, I, I'm sure, you know, it's something I talk about with my friends um, all the time, my, my family about, but that's, like I said, that's real, you know, it's being, real, like, but pointing you know out your, yeah, well, like I, if we, like if we, you know, healthcare providers or within, um, like the, the fitness movement that's out there now, you know, people might encourage you to work out on your lunch break and um, <laughs> things like that. And I'm like, that's cool. I could do that. But what do you want me to do with my hair for the rest of the right. day? When I still right. have meetings, I got to, <laughs> I got to go to class after that. And if you're talking about a woman like me, who's, you know, single and, you know, might be, be looking, so you want me to walk around with my hair looking a mess for, right. for the rest of the day? Like there's a lot to, to work around there. And then you talk about certain stigmas or, or stereotypes that are attached to black women. I can't go to the gym. You know, I can't, you know, freely go to the gym in, in my scarf or in my bonnet. Um, I mean, I right. could, I've seen it. I, and more power um, to the women that do it. But, you know, it's not, we don't live in a, a society where that, like you said, where that's really taken into account. I mean, thankfully, um, not to go too, too far off um, uh, off the topic, but, you know, thankfully, um, you know, a lot of Black women have found um, empowerment and, and strength and um, the, I guess, the re-up or the revamp of the natural hair movement. Absolutely. Like there, there's plenty of um, YouTube YouTube bloggers, my sister is one, um, you know, that teach different ways to wear your hair. Um, and no matter if it's a little 
a little curly, uh, a little kinky, a little puffy, that it's still beautiful. So I think what's your sister's um, what's your sister's YouTube channel? Oh, yes. Shameless plug. Simply Jade 101. Check her out. You know, Jade has been blogging from for some years. She's done my hair all, my entire life. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she she gives a lot of great tips for women to really be confident and comfortable in their hair and no matter what state it's in. That's fantastic. You know, it, I was talking with a woman at work. This was probably a year ago and she was sharing with me and she's a black woman and she said she misses swimming. Mm. And I said, well, but why don't you swim? And she said, my hair. And so what, what ended up happening was she and I got on my computer and we started trying to figure out, do they make swim caps for women who either have locks or dreads or, or have extensions because the swim caps, you know, they're, they're kind of tight and they don't have a whole lot of room for a whole lot of hair in those swim caps. And so we started Googling around and we found out that there are actually swim caps made for primarily for African-American women or men who have dreads, but they, they're watertight and they protect the hair. And it was like this amazing moment for her. She was like, I can swim. Mm. And it's so, it's such a tiny thing, but she and I both were like, it, it started because she was like, what about a swim cap? And I'm like, you should totally invent that. <laughs> and then we're like, well, maybe it exists. And we start looking around and it's out there, but she didn't know about it. And she loves swimming. So I think, you know, as we think about, we talk about exercise and we talk about the obesity epidemic, mm-hmm. it, the, the people that really we need to, and I say we, white people need to be asking about helping problem solve exercise and issues around exercise in the black community. Mm-hmm. We as white people need to stop giving solutions to black people. We need to ask them, what are the barriers? What are the solutions? Because there is so much strength and so much knowledge in the black community. And we as white people need to get out of their way and, and really let some of those solutions bubble up from the community. Oh, yeah. I, like you said, there's a lot of Black women are brilliant. Um, you know, they, they, we really have a, a, a strong sense of who we are, what, what, what's best for us. And to, I'm still stuck somewhat on the point of hair because, like I said, it, it's so it's so real. Like, I remember doing track and dance when I was younger, and that was just the worst feeling when you would, like, just get your hair straightened, and then you have an intense dance class, and you have track <laughs> practice, and it's like oh my gosh, I wasted three hours of my life getting my <laughs> hair done. And the if I went to the hair salon, the $50 that it mm-hmm. costs to get it done. Yeah. And, and I think for many white people, like for me, I'll just say for myself as a white woman, so I have like no hair. You've seen my Twitter mm-hmm. pic. I have basically no hair. So my hair requires no styling and I need to get it cut once a month, but that's it. That's all I do to it. But even when it was long, I went and got it cut once a month, but it was, that was, that was it. It was like a, you do it. And then if I exercise, I just wash it. And then it goes back to exactly how it looked. Mm -hmm. And I think that for a lot of white people, there isn't an understanding Mm -hmm. that, that hair is a, is an expense, regardless of how you expense, not only in terms of money, but also time, no matter how you style it um, for black women. And we have to be aware of it and sensitive of it instead of, I think so often what I, what I see people do is kind of the, the not helpful, oh, let me touch your hair. <laughs> like, that's not helpful. Yeah. Uh, people need to have dialogue about these issues. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, like you said, dialogue, conversation around it is key to seeing what is really, what would really just a service that 
that particular Black woman best in her, her healthcare journey. This was fantastic, Nina. Thank you so much for being on MDASH. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to MDASH, the healthcare podcast that gives you pause. For show notes for today's episode, visit www.em-podcast.com. Hyphen dash hyphen podcast dot com. <laughs>